Welcome to Awaken to Grace. Today, we are in the conclusion of what has been a great series called Church Words. We're talking about words that we use so frequently, so often here, even among other believers and in our churches. But, you know, friends, these are some of the same words we're going to be using, according to the Bible, in heaven for all eternity. If that's the case, then let's really understand the real meaning behind them. Let's dig around the soil of Scripture, and let's get down to the roots of what these words really mean. We've covered the words amen and hallelujah in this short series. Well, today we're going to end by talking about the word doxology. We're going to see how the name means glory, and it is a praise. It is an expression of glory to God, and there are many throughout the Bible Our focus today is going to be Jude chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. We're going to dive deep into this text, and I hope you enjoy today's episode of Awaken to Grace as we conclude the series, Church Words. Let's go to uh, Jude chapter 1. I'm so glad you're with us today. And if you are a guest, perhaps you don't know, I'm completely blind. And so if you came today as a guest and perhaps you weren't aware of that, that's why I don't have a Bible up here with me. I'll try to, uh, I try to memorize all of the scripture that I preach. Perhaps I'll miss a word or two, but that's where... That's why it's always good to have the hard copy, right? Or at least your phone or your tablet or whatever it is that you use for the reading of Scripture. Uh, I encourage you to follow along with me. That way, if I do miss anything, you won't miss it. You'll see it. And, uh, but I'll, I'll try to be faithful to, to remember it here. So today I want to conclude what has been a short three-week series for us called Church Words. The language of heaven. You know, we often use words in church, and the premise of this series is I want to know if these are words that we use in our Christian life, and more importantly, they're going to be words that we use in eternity in heaven. Well, then I want to know the weightiness, I want to feel the importance. I want to feel the relevance. I want to feel the gravity, the weightiness of what these words mean. I don't want to just say them because that's what I've been taught or that's what I've heard. No, when when truth is preached or when truth is sung or when God's word goes forth, there is something inside of us that says amen to it. There's something in us that says hallelujah to it. There's something that says glory to God to it. And I want to know what is behind. I want to dig around scripture and I want to get into the soil and I want to go down to the roots of what these words mean so that when I practice them, when I use them in my very life or here in the church, I want to know the weightiness of it. And that's the premise of the series. So two weeks ago, we introduced the incredibly biblical, the incredibly weighty, and the incredibly rich word, amen. And we unpacked that word. In last week, week two, we explored again the incredibly biblical word, hallelujah. 
Well, today we have a different word, and it is a word that could mean glory, glory to God, splendor, grandeur, and it is the word doxology. Now, those of you who grew up in a bit more traditional style churches, you may know the word doxology, you may know the song doxology, and it may be familiar to you. For those of you who perhaps you've never really went to church, we, maybe we're really your first church experience, well, then it may be very unfamiliar. But at either rate, let's understand the word today, and let's, my goal today is for us to walk out of the building feeling the weight of it and appreciating it. And no matter how you were raised, no matter how you were brought up or what style or what setting you were in, I think we can all leave today appreciating this wonderful uh, word doxology. So let's, we're going to be in Jude chapter 1. Let me explain this first before we get into the text. The word doxology comes from a Greek word doxa. And what the word doxa mean is glory, splendor grandeur. And it, what, what a doxology is, very simple, just so you know, it is an expression of praise. It is an expression of glory to God. There are many doxologies throughout the Bible. There's quite a few in Paul's writings. We have this one in Jude. There's one at the end of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. There is a doxology actually in Chronicles that King David wrote. And what a doxology is, is an emphasis. It is an expression of unique praise and glory to God. And where I'm going today is for many of us, anytime that we pray, anytime that we spend time with the Lord, if we are not careful, if we are not aware of this, all of our time with the Lord focuses in on us. All we will do is tell the Lord, this is what I need. This is what I want. This is what would make my life better. This is what would make me more comfortable. And my goal today is to show you that what a doxology does is it takes the focus off of me. It takes the focus off of my needs, off of my wants, and it puts my focus on the glory and the grandeur of God. That's the purpose of a doxology. And what my hope is, is today you will understand a doxology so well that you'll begin to incorporate it into your very own praying. And what you'll find is the more that you focus on the glory of God, the more that you focus on the sovereignty of God, the more that you focus on the ability of God, do you know what you'll find? Is the less you'll focus on yourself, the less you'll focus on our pettiness. Oh, come on. How many of us can be petty? Raise your hands. I can't see it. It doesn't matter. But how many of us can most certainly be petty, even with the Lord? And what it does, it puts our eyes on the Lord and takes our eyes off of us and our circumstances. So my goal today is for us to understand what a doxology is. It is an expression of praise how it is recorded in Scripture so that it shows us the model. It shows us how to pray this. And then I believe in your programs today, there's actually a place that you can take home this week 
and you can write your own doxology of praise to the Lord. You can tell the Lord the gratitude that's in your heart. You know, as I go through blindness and there are many days that I struggle, what I find is the more gratitude I pour into my heart, the more I let Scripture shape the gratitude of my heart, the less grumblings there are in my life, the less things there are to complain about. So if you're someone that you're negative all the time, you complain all the time, you always see the glass half empty, there's always something to complain about, you need to pay attention today to this doxology because it will put more gratitude in your heart than negativity. Now, let me say a few things about Jude. Jude is a very short letter, only 25 verses. Isn't it wonderful that uh, some things are just so concise? You ever watch how-to videos like on YouTube or something and they tell you everything that you don't want to know until they tell you what you do want to know? <laughs> Well, Jude is so concise, it gets straight to the point. And there's a great deal of instruction in Jude. There's a lot of help for us in Jude. And if you'll pay attention to it, it's 25 tremendous verses. You know, because Jude is so small, and because it can feel obscure in our Bibles, often it's overlooked, and we don't read, and we don't study, and we don't appreciate this small letter. This is an epistle. A pastor once asked his congregation what an epistle was, and a lady wrongly answered, a wife of an apostle. <laughs> That's not an epistle. <laughs> you have the gospels, and then you have the epistles. They are instructions. They teach us. And so this short 25-verse, one-chapter book, letter called Jude, is quite important. Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. I say half-brother because Joseph was not the Lord's biological father. You understand that. But Jude was actually the half-brother to Jesus. Jude was the brother to James who wrote the epistle of James who was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And there's so much instruction here. Let's understand before we get into the meat of what our text is, let's understand the context into which Jude is writing because what the context was then is what the context is even now in our day today. It is just as relevant. So Jude is writing to Christians that are living in a difficult time period. How many of you know we are living in a difficult time period? We feel it, don't we? And Jude writes to Christians, and it's very interesting because in verse 3, it's as though Jude is going to write them a devotional. I picture him, you know, getting ready to write a strong devotion, like, like something that F.B. Meyer would have written from back in the day, or Oswald Chamber, of one of those wonderful devotion writers. And, and, and he says in verse 3 that he was going to write concerning our common salvation. So he was going to exhort the church, and I mean, it was going to be a good devotion and something that they could, that they could hold to. But, but then the Holy Spirit changed his thoughts. So you have to understand, the Bible was written by common men so that common men could understand the Bible. But understand who the Bible's real author is. It is the Holy Spirit, not man. 
God used men so that men could read and understand it. But no, it's, it's author. It's breathed out. It is inspired. It is infallible because it is breathed out by the Holy Spirit. It is not a book like any book in a library or on your shelf. It is the living, breathing, active Word of God. And it is every inch as relevant today as it was centuries ago. Amen? Now Jude writes, and instead of writing about our common salvation and doing almost like a devotion, know what he does. The Holy Spirit moves on him and he writes saying that we must contend for the faith. Now that's very interesting to me. What is interesting about Christianity, if you study church history at all, men and women have always had to contend for truth. They've always had to contend for the faith. And so it is today, right now, in our day, we must contend for our faith. I don't know if you're paying attention. I don't know if you're watching the winds and the currents of change blowing through our country, but you and I are entering a day we must contend for the faith. What does that look like? Well, I think first of all, you and I have to know, we have to recognize, we have to have the ability to understand the truth. You realize that truth never changes. From generation to generation... Truth never changes. See, you have to understand the Bible says in John 8, 44 and 45, Satan is the father of all lies. Satan is a deceiver and he's never changed. He is a master deceiver and anything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. He is the father of all lies. But who is Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ is not a truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when you remove truth, all you're left with is a lie. And it is imperative that Christians today understand what truth is. And we must understand that truth never changes. After you and I are long gone off of this earth, truth will remain the same. It never changes. It doesn't mold or conform to whatever society is or whatever culture says or whatever the players are at the moment. Truth stands all by itself. You understand? Now, if we're going to understand that, then Christians of all people, we who follow Jesus Christ, we who belong to Christ, we, of all people, should understand and know and recognize truth. Do you feel like you can recognize truth? Can you understand error from truth? Do you understand false teachings from true teachings? You know, it's interesting. People who, people who work as a federal agent for the Federal Reserve, you know, there are, there are people who track down counterfeit money, right? Right? Have you ever had a counterfeit 
build and they market and to your shock, it's counterfeit. Huh. I keep telling Glenn, if he would learn how to print counterfeit money, what a great fundraiser for our youth group, right? I mean, they would do really well. Maybe it's illegal, but you know. But do you know what's interesting about federal agents who track down counterfeit money? They don't study counterfeit money. Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because counterfeits always change. Technology always improves. Do you know what federal agents study who track counterfeit money? They study the real thing. They study real currency. And they can see it and they can feel it. And because they have studied true, authentic currency, they can spot a fake just like that. You know, it's the same in our spiritual lives. You don't understand truth by studying other false doctrines. You don't know truth by studying other false religions or dabbling in this or dabbling in that. You know truth when you have experienced the truth, when you can feel the truth, when you memorize the truth, when you let it soak into you. That's when you know truth. And that's when you gain the ability to recognize what is false and what is wrong. And so Jude says the context of the letter is understand truth. Contend for the faith. And church, we are living in a day. If we should ever understand truth, it is right now today. And if you are a Christian, let me say this. If you are a Christian that you're not paying attention right now, you need to be paying attention. There are winds of change blowing through our nation that is scary and alarming. And while I have been able through all of the years that I have pastored this church, through two terms with President Bush, two terms with President Obama, and now one term with President Trump, I have been faithful to pray for every single president whether I agreed or disagreed. I have been faithful to pray for the office and whoever is in that office. And I will be faithful to do that no matter what happens on November 3rd or January or April, whenever they figure it out. (laughs) We'll be faithful to pray for whoever the president is. And I've never stood in this podium that is dedicated to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and I've never preached politics, but let me say this, my friends. Let me say this carefully, yet boldly. It's not about politics this time. This election, I don't care what you think of the candidates, this election is not about personalities, whether you like them or you don't. This election is not about parties. I could care less what side of the aisle that you're on. Don't even tell me because I don't care. It's not about politics. This election is about light and darkness. It's about ideologies. And if you don't understand the clash of of ideologies, you're not paying attention. This election is going to transform our country one way or another. 
We're at a fork in the road, and it's going to go one way or another. Let me tell you where I'm landing. I'm not voting my heart. I'm not voting my conscience. I'm not voting my background or however it is that I grew up. I'm voting my faith because this election will determine which direction the church goes. It's mightily important. And it's important. I don't care how you grew up. I'm not going to tell you how I grew up because I don't care. And I don't care if you know. And I don't care how you grew up. The fact is, everything's different today. I wish we could go back to where, you know, you're either Republican or you're a Democrat or whatever. You cross the aisle, you make a deal, you shake hands, and you move the country forward. I wish it was like that. But it's not. And there is a clashing of, idolo- uh, of, of ideologies that is going to immensely affect religious liberty and our ability to preach the gospel. You need to be paying attention, Christian. And what I would do if I were you, and this is what I'm doing, I'm not saying what's blue or what's red. What's conservative? What's progressive? What's Democrat? What's Republican? I'm telling you, those things repulse me. I could care less. Let me tell you what I am doing. I'm saying what's light and what's darkness. What grieves the heart of God? And I won't stand with it. I don't care what your platform is. I don't care what your party is. I don't care who the candidate is. I'm not going to stand with what grieves the heart of God. And that's where Christians should land. And we need to understand these are different days. And I believe if Jude were writing to Christians today, this would be part of contending for our faith. Now... Let's move on. Jude chapter 1, verse 21. Let's understand what Jude is saying. Now that we understand the basis, the premise, which is Christians must contend for the faith. There is a spiritual warfare going on right now, whether we like it or not. Whether we choose to engage or not, there is a warfare that is happening all around us in the spiritual realm. And now Jude's going to instruct us how we are to live in this. How are we to contend for our faith? Well, look at verse number 21. This is very interesting. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God. Isn't that so wonderful? Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting on the mercy of Jesus Christ, which leads to eternal life. If you're going to take notes today, I want you to note, number one, this is the believer's perspective. This is how you and I are to see. This is how you and I are to view. This is what is to shape our life, that we keep ourselves in the love of God, waiting on the coming of the Lord. Why? Because it leads to eternal life. In other words, do you know what Jude is saying? Don't live for the present. Don't live for the here and now. Don't live for the comfort of life. Don't live for your needs right here today. No, live with eternity in view. Live with eternity in mind and keep yourselves in the love of God. Friends, I have to do this sometimes on a daily basis. 
You know, for those of you who, you know my story, uh, those of you who don't, let me just say this. I went completely blind two years ago. The last time I drove a car was the last Sunday of October two years ago. And you know, there are days that I have to, I have to keep myself in the love of God. And let me tell you how that looks very practically for me. There are some days, just to be quite frank, I would rather not get out of bed. There are some days, let me tell you what is the craziest thing for me, is to dream very vividly. I'm talking like to be able to see everything in extremely vibrant and vivid color, like I can see everything, and then wake up and it's pitch black. And have no ability to see whatsoever. There are some days that I would just rather lay in bed. But see, I've learned something out of this verse. It is vital to my spiritual growth, to my spiritual health, that I get myself out of bed and I keep myself in the love of God. And let me tell you what that looks like for me. Number one, coffee. I'm joking. I'm kidding. I do have a cup of coffee every morning. I think Sadie thinks our marriage is better when I have coffee. So anyways, I do drink coffee about every morning. But do you know what I do when I'm sipping my coffee? I'm not sitting there thinking about blindness. I'm not sitting there, why is this happening in my life? I'm not sitting there, woe is me. You know what I'm doing as I'm sipping my coffee? I've got things right at my fingertips. There are certain scriptures that I'll listen to that it uplifts me. Certain, listen, I'll put on Psalm 34 and it just lifts me up out of despair. There are certain songs that I listen to that I'll sit there and sip my coffee and I'll sing and I'll listen to those songs and I'll worship the Lord. There are certain preachers I listen to that when I listen to them, it feeds my soul. And you know what I'm doing when I have all of those weapons at my fingertips? There are certain devotions I listen to, certain books I listen to, certain preaching I listen to, certain worship I listen to, certain chapters of the Bible that I go to. And I have all of these weapons in my arsenal right at my fingertips. And when depression tries to grip me, when discouragement comes on me, no, I keep myself centered in the love of God and it lifts me out of that despair. Amen. And you have the same ability. Keep yourself. Take on the responsibility. And feed yourself the word of God. Listen to the right music. Listen to the right things. Put the right things around you. And it will give you the right perspective. And see now... Now I'm beginning to understand. See, when I get to heaven, when you get to heaven, you realize there are no more sufferings. We'll never suffer again. And the Bible teaches that we glorify God in our sufferings. You know what that tells me? I have one opportunity to glorify God in this suffering. I'm not going to waste it. Because one day, I'll never suffer again. (laughs) And the only opportunity I have to glorify Christ in hardship 
is right here on this earth. I'm not going to waste it. Keep yourself in the love of God. See, the problem is, and let me say this carefully, but let me say it pastorally. Some of you are keeping yourself in depression. You're keeping yourself in bitterness. You're keeping yourself in unforgiveness. You're keeping yourself in lust. You're keeping yourself in anger. And you're keeping yourself in all these things because you won't let go of it. Replace it. Keep yourself and replace it with the love of God and the things of God. And it will, you know, before we put in, isn't our carpet so pretty? But before we put in this brand new carpet, it was stained and ugly and messy. Let me tell you, I personally, I went to Dalton, Georgia. You know what's in Dalton, Georgia, don't you? Carpet. And I bought the cheapest carpet you could find when we first moved into this building. We didn't know if we were staying. And it's so many thousand square feet, thousands of dollars. And I'm telling you, I mean, they'd show me carpet and I'd say, it's not cheap enough. What else you got? <laughs> and we bought such cheap carpet. I mean, if somebody spilled coffee, you couldn't even, the stain wouldn't even come out because it was so cheap. It was, it was awful. But one day, thank God, we were able to rip out that nasty, ugly, worn, stained carpet. But see, here's the thing, church. We didn't just rip it out and leave it out. We replaced it. Amen? And you know what the Bible means in 2 Corinthians 4 and in Colossians chapter 3? You know what the Bible means when it says that God is renewing us day by day? That word renew is where we get our English word renovate. God wants to renovate your life. He wants to rip out that nasty, that ugly, that stain. He wants to rip out that anger. He wants to rip out that lust. He wants to rip out that unforgiveness and bitterness and addiction. He wants to rip those things out. But let me tell you, God doesn't just leave you empty. He replaces what he takes out. Amen? Let God renovate you. But you got to maintain. You got to keep things clean. You got to keep yourself in the love of God. And as you do that, guess what? Your perspective begins to change. You don't see life the same anymore. You know why I'm able to be joyful in the midst of blindness? You know why I'm able to be, crying out loud, productive in the midst of blindness? Because I don't see life the same like I did. I just, I, my perspective has changed. And as our perspective changes, do you know the biblical concept of how it changes? It points toward eternal life. And the things of this world... The things, the cares of this life, they just don't seem to matter like they used to. Amen? Let God change your perspective. Number two, here's the interesting thing that happens. As your perspective changes, well, guess what? Your priorities begin to change. Notice where Jude goes. 
When I take on the spiritual responsibility, I'm going to keep myself in church. I'm going to keep my family in church. Men, I'm going to keep my children in church. I'm going to keep us around the things of God. I'm going to keep worship music in my life. I'm going to keep scripture in my life. I'm going to keep sermons in my life. I'm going to keep prayer in my life. I'm going to keep fellowship in my life. And I'm going to surround my life with the things of God. And all around me, I've centered myself into the, into the love of God and the things of God. Well, as I do that, I begin to get an eternal perspective. I begin to look toward eternity. Well, then guess what happens? Look where Jude goes. It goes from me keeping myself in the love of God, having an eternal perspective, that then I begin to look at others around me. Verse 22, have mercy on those who doubt, those who genuinely struggle, those who really have questions. Jude said, have mercy on those. On others, save them by snatching them out of the fire. You know, there are some people you got to be very compassionate with. You got to be patient with. You have, to, you, you have to be tender with. And then there's some people you just got to get in their face and speak truth. You snatch them out of the fire. People have different personalities. People have different experiences. People have different backgrounds. People have different childhoods. It's, it's everything's different for everyone. And we are to be skilled in how we present the gospel. So then he goes on and look what he says next. For some, snatching them out of the fire. And, 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 well, let me point this out before I move forward. You ever hear the expression, we should hate the sin but love the sinner? This is where this comes from. Look at verse 23. He says, hating the garment stained by sin. Do you know what he's saying? We don't, we never, listen, the church should never hate anyone. Amen? I don't care. Listen, racism has zero place in the church. Now, let me tell you, I don't, I do not mind to say, to tell people, we're not the church for you. You need to go somewhere else. My goal is not to fill every single chair in here. You realize that? And someone who wants to be racist, we're not the church for them. You need to move right on along. We're not for you. Racism has no place in the church. Hatred has no place in the church. And is, are the fires of hatred not burning in our country right now? Let me tell you, no matter who you disagree with, no matter, no matter what arguments arise on social media or on politics or in the news or whatever, let me, let me tell you, my friends, don't entangle yourself in things of hatred. No, keep yourself in the love of God. Amen? Don't entangle yourself in all of this hatred. Don't, no. We hate the garment stained with sin, but we don't hate the sinner. This is where that expression comes from. So we see first, we see first the perspective of the believer, that we are to look toward eternity. We're to keep ourselves, that's our responsibility, keep ourselves in the love of God. We see second, the priority of the believer, we are to love sinners. You know, 
everything, you know, <laughs> even though I can't see, I remember what everything looks like. I don't know what I'll do when everything changes, but I, I remember what everything looks like. I, I remember our carpet. I remember my pulpit, although a round pulpit doesn't serve a blind, a blind pastor real well. I need to get a squared pulpit. It would be more helpful, wouldn't it? I love this platform. I love our stage. I love our chairs. I love our lighting. I think we have one of the prettiest auditoriums. Amen? Amen. But do you realize there isn't a thing in this auditorium that we'll ever take to heaven except for the souls that we've preached the gospel to? That's it. We'll never take anything in this building to heaven with us. Only the souls that we've preached to. That's why if we're going to have the eternal perspective, Jude immediately shifts toward people. And how can a church preach the gospel to people if we're filled with hatred and division? It can't happen. Amen? Amen. And what's that mean? So be it. (laughs) Two weeks ago. Anyway. Now look what he says, verse 24. He says, now unto him who is able. Now watch the shift. Watch where Jude is going. He masterfully instructs us on a personal level, keep yourself in the love of God. He then masterfully instructs us toward people and what our attitude ought to be, what our perspective ought to be. Isn't that beautiful? And now he's masterfully going to put our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. He goes from us to people to the Lord. What instruction. That's why I love the New Testament so much. The Old Testament teaches us character. It teaches us out of people's lives. Abraham, Moses, Daniel, David, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. It teaches us all these great lives. But the New Testament teaches us all these great principles. And so now, look what he's going to say. Now unto him, here's the doxology. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling. To present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great or exceeding joy. Hallelujah. Amen. And then look what he's going to say. Now to God our Savior. Isn't that just a beautiful phrase right there? God our Deliverer, our Rescuer, our Savior through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, majesty, honor, authority. Before time, now, and forevermore. Amen. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Friends, that's a doxology. And there are many of those in the scriptures. It's a praise. It's an expression to the Lord. So while we see the the perspective of the believer, while we see the priority of the believer, now the whole focus is going to shift. And now what we see is the salvation of God. The sufficient salvation of God. God is our Savior. He's able. He's able to preserve us. 
He's able to keep us. He's able to watch over us. He's able to keep us from stumbling. He's able to present us blameless before his glory with great joy. God is able to rescue today. I don't know where you are in your life today. I don't know the sincere doubts you have. I don't know where you're struggling, but I will tell you this today. God saves to the uttermost. And God has the ability. God is, what's the word? Able. God is able. God has the ability to reach right into your life today. No matter where you struggle. No matter what you face. No matter what you've done. No matter what your background is. No matter what your past has been. God is able. And he's able to rescue you today. He's able to save today. And then look what he says. God, all glory, all majesty, all honor, all dominion, all authority, power, all of it belongs to the Lord. You know what we see there? (laughs) That he's supremely sovereign. All power is God's. Let me tell you, my friends, it doesn't matter What happens on November 3rd or the weeks afterward? God is still going to be sovereign. Whoever occupies the White House does not sit on the throne of God, nor does it change his sovereign will or decrees. Amen. God's sovereign. And just like no matter who sits in the Oval Office does not change the sovereignty of God, well, guess what? your mistakes and your sins and your failures and your past does not change his sovereignty nor his ability to step right into your life and rescue you today. See, Satan would tell you, you've gone too far. But who did we say he is? He's the father of lies. Satan would tell you, you're too dirty. You're too unclean. But guess who he is? He's the master deceiver. Do you know what the truth tells you? That God is able to rescue you today. That's what God says. So no matter who you are today, no matter what your past is, do you need the Lord? Let's bow our heads today. Maybe you're someone that you've been fretting. You're so nervous. This awful pandemic. This unpredictable election. Perhaps your job is doing layoffs right now. Maybe your company's going under. And you don't know what you're going to do. Maybe you're awaiting serious test results today. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. Friends, I want to invite you to take your eyes off of you. To take your eyes off of your circumstance. To lift your eyes today. And look to God. Look to His supreme sovereignty. Look to Him. Look to Him. Look 
to the Lord today. Those of you that you're not saved, you're not born again. I'm not asking, are you religious? I'm not asking what you did as a kid or any of that. But today, if you died, if you, if this was your last day on this earth, you would not go to heaven. I'm, I'm telling you today, look to Christ and live. Look to Christ and live. Stop looking within yourself. Stop looking at other religions. Stop looking at spirituality. Stop looking at Wicca and other things that will send you to hell because it's false, because it's fake, because it's error. Look to Christ and live. I don't know who you are today. I don't know where you are, but God knows exactly who you are. And God knows exactly where you are. And God has come to you today. But this last step is yours. If there's a thousand steps between us and God, he'll take every step. But that last one's yours. Will you step to God? Will you say yes to the Lord today? Right there in your seat, whoever I'm talking to, those watching, those listening online, wherever you are right now, bow your head and pray this prayer of salvation. Right now, from your heart, in your heart, say, Jesus Christ, rescue me from sin. I confess all sin in my life. Rescue me. Save me. Deliver me. And I make you my Lord and Savior. I accept your forgiveness. Cleanse me by your blood and make me new today. In Jesus' name, amen.